podcast app. You'll see there's a discourse happening. Is this book a masterpiece or problematic? One's a lifelong diehard fan. The other's a first-time reader. Both are really smart and funny and attractive. Sweet feathers, sweet feathers. Talking trends and did not want to talk about it and i was like okay i guess i'll just read quietly then fine i was like it's a really good part are you sure and he was not he was like there's a lot of car stuff he was like no no no, no. car stuff oh but there's a lot of car stuff the cars yeah well you know i'd love to ask how are you but it feels like we sort of want to get into it yeah i would love if we could to start with just first impressions like i'm just dying to know your first impressions impressions i started this book and i was like this book sucks jessica is the worst elizabeth is so naive as to be the worst i hate these people has no one in this town ever seen a twin before like why are you all so surprised and confused and like you have no critical thinking abilities whatsoever like oh my gosh elizabeth would never do something like that but someone who looks like elizabeth did so it must be elizabeth and it's like you but but you know you you know, and they didn't care. So I'm just like, this is so dumb, so many problems, so much going on. And and also like plot holes that Bruce Patman could drive a Porsche through, am I right? One Bruce one. <laughs> I've been thinking about that line all day. <laughs> and then at some point I was just like, wait, do I love this? And it was it was really far in. It was really far in. I'm picturing that moment in Clueless where she realizes yes, at the I fountain. Love Josh. <laughs> yes. But like, I mean, I'm trying to give you an idea of how far in it was. It was like after Todd and Elizabeth get together. So we're like probably 88% of the way through the book, maybe farther. And I was like, this is so dumb. This is so dumb. And then they like prank Jessica. And I was like, wait, I, I love this. And then Eden shows up with her secret, and I was like, well, I certainly can't stop reading now. I, it was, like, so sudden and so... Was it sudden? Like, yeah. I think it was sudden. What do you mean? It was, like, there was a multiple things that happened leading up oh, to it. Oh, sorry, no, I mean my love affair was... Sudden. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant Enid like showing up. Of, no, oh my god, the entire time, Enid's like, but I have some secrets. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm like Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you enjoyed the prankery and you enjoyed the setup. Well, let me tell you, each book sets up the next. So each one, the last chapter is... Yeah. She knows what she's doing. Have you styled yourself today in kind of a Sweet Valley vibe? Not intentionally. Elizabeth does sometimes wear a practical French braid. And overalls, I'm sure. Not overalls, Elizabeth. She never wears overalls? I, I, it's definitely not a regular look for her. Like, for example, her khakis. 
But no, that wasn't intentional. I love it no matter what. So you do not have this dear reader. Right. Okay. There are just a couple of things I'd like to highlight from the dear reader. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you, actually. Sorry. Dear reader, the minute I came up with the idea of Sweet Valley High, now 30 years ago, I knew it was perfect. Wow. I mean... She's not wrong, but like, wow. The idea is just twin girls. That is the kind whole of idea. I'm sorry? Kind of perfect. <laughs> kind of perfect. I knew it was perfect, but I knew it needed something else. And that something else was girl power. This brings me to the first section of my notes. Did Francine Pascal invent that? Did Francine Pascal invent Spice Girls? Oh, you're talking about the actual phrase girl power? Girl power! That's a good good question. Where that we should look into that. We don't need to look. No, but I mean she history of the Spice Girls. So unlike the Sleeping Beauty version of romance novels where the heroine has to wait for the wake up kiss, in my series the girls would drive drive cars, the action. And there would be two of them the good and the bad in all of us. You are not reeling the way that I was reeling. These two women are a metaphor for the good and the evil that lives within each of us. Within each of us, there is an Elizabeth and a Jessica. I mean, I, I like, I do like the idea that they're both sort of exaggerations of like. I agree. Right? I just, there are moments in here where Jessica does things. Oh, abhorrent. And yet, Francine argues that's inherent in all of us. In I don't think the she's. bad in all of us. Okay, Robert, I, my interpretation of that would be. I don't think she's saying that each of us could do all the things that like a Jessica does. I think she's more saying that each of us can relate to some of her impulses or motivations or needs that are different from Elizabeth. It's like her need for constant attention. We can understand those impulses, not to say we would do those extreme like, behavior that she does. I mean, I think that's interesting. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like to read two more sentences to kind of destroy <laughs> that theory. Please. After that, all I needed were the stories. With my three daughters and my own teenage years to draw on, I had endless possibilities. She is positing here that the stories she relates come directly from her own life and the life of her three daughters. To me, this is completely consistent with my reading, which is just that like, she has seen the impulses, certain character traits are underlying it's just sort of human things that underlie Jessica. It doesn't mean that she has seen them like act crazy or like get kidnapped. After and she's that, not saying everything that happened in the books happened in their in... Okay, but Robert, I think that is what she is positing. No, because claiming. then they she's at least claiming then they would have been kidnapped at least twenty five times, which is too many. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that part of what's so terrifying about all of this is okay. that like, all right, well, I think you're reading it a little bit literally. I think you're reading it a little loosey-goosey. All right, keep going. I started with the Bible, where I developed the characters, the school, and the town, and then began writing the stories for the first 12 books, and then 12 more and more and more until I had written 144 stories. I want to be clear here. She keeps saying stories. She does not ever really say she writes the books. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. she didn't. And then with the help of other writers, they became the 144 books of the Sweet Valley High series, which more than 100 million fans have loved. And now it's all back as ebooks. Oh, that's why I have this. As ebooks for a whole new generation of teenagers, that's me, who want to lose themselves in the world of Sweet Valley. That's the me. fantasy of the 80s 
and the best high school no one ever went to. And for the grown women, that's you, who want to look back at the love of their high school lives and revel in the nostalgia of life with the most incredible twins, read away. And that takes us to double love. Okay, so this is a little note that we have recorded later to add to this episode. When we listened back and realized that when we started recording, we really weren't explaining what was going on in the plot and it's very confusing to follow. That is still the case. However, we are now experimenting (laughs) with a sort of attempt at a little bit more structure to summarize our plots. And so we thought we'd go back and see if we can remember now a couple months later, what is the basic thing that happens in Double Love, book number one of Sweet Valley High. Robert, you may recall that Double Love begins with, of course, the introduction of our central twins, Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield, gorgeous blonde, size six, and so on. They are both interested in the same boy called Todd. You're, you but, look, I, have, I see a look of consternation on your face. Well, because I'm just trying to remember, I feel like on some level, Elizabeth is interested in Todd. I guess, yes, they're both interested in Todd. Do they know that the other one is interested? That's what's a little confusing. And that becomes a question of great analytical significance we're going to discuss. But essentially, Liz likes Todd, although she's keeping that a little close to her chest. Right. Jessica also Close to her tuxedo Todd. shirt. That's right. Jessica also likes Todd. Todd calls the house to speak with Elizabeth. But Jessica answers the phone and says Elizabeth isn't there to Todd and then tells Elizabeth that Todd was calling for Jessica. Yes, and through a series of events, Jessica sort of orchestrates time with Todd and sort of orchestrates his attentions towards her and at the same time is also doing some hanging out with a character called Rick Andover who is a bad boy. And that bad, bad boy, boy called Rick Andover takes Jessica to a very seedy bar called Kelly's. And there's sort of a culmination of, oh no, what happens is there's an, they get arrested at Kelly's because like there's yeah. a brawler. Because Jessica's trying to leave and then Rick kind of assaults her or something or like traps her there, intimidates yes. her. And then Jessica's trying to leave. They get a, the, cop the cops come, up. they arrest Rick, they pick her up. And then they... And they they think she's Elizabeth. They think she's Elizabeth and she doesn't correct them. And so... Right. They end up like dropping her home with a warning of don't hang out at bars, you're underage type of thing. And then she lets them think it was Elizabeth. And then rumors start going around the school about Elizabeth's reputation, what she's been out doing, which ends up driving a bit further bridge between potentially her and Todd because Todd's hearing this thinking, that's not what I thought is Elizabeth. Ultimately, it culminates when Rick... Rick carjacks them. Todd saves them. Elizabeth kisses him. They clarify the differences and Todd and Elizabeth get together. Also, a thing that happened before that was that (laughs) he went on a date with Jessica and she pretended that he, like, attacked her at the door. So she told Liz that he's actually, like, tried to assault her. So that kind of gets cleared up too, sort of. And then what ends up happening is Todd and Liz get together. And the big end is that Todd and Elizabeth conspire to have Jessica wear Elizabeth's clothes and Elizabeth wear Jessica's clothes so that when they reveal that Elizabeth is the gossip columnist 
they throw Jessica into the pool. And that is like Jessica's big punishment for everything she did. She gets thrown in the pool in Elizabeth's clothing. Then we got the B plot. With that. Oh my gosh, that wasn't it? Don't worry, this is an easy one. It's okay. with that absolute whore called Mariana West. Oh my god! Who has the nerve. Basically, there's this whore about town called Mariana West who has the nerve to be a woman and pursue the field of law. Yeah, is she a lawyer? Is she his assistant? She also we'll has, never know. She also has the nerve to be a divorcee. So the B-plot here is Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield, their parents are called Alice and Ned. Their dad, Ned, is a lawyer, and he's been working with this woman called Mariana West. And for some reason, rumors or suspicions, at least on the part of the twins, start circulating that there's something not kosher going on between Ned and Mariana. And that gets explored and vis-a-vis a football field situation. Yes. Lawsuit. C-plot. <laughs> the C-plot is that the school has I, lost their lease on their football I field. feel like we explained that enough in the episode. Like, do we really need Okay, this? fine. Fine. The school yeah. has lost their lease on the football field, and everyone is suing to get custody of the football field. And then, like, Marietta gets, like, a promote. Then Marianna becomes partner. It turns out they're supposedly not having an affair, and, like, everything's fine. Or is it? Yeah. Since you're coming at it new, it will be interesting... To go by, I don't know if there's any, if there's certain things that stood out to you or certain places you want to start. Otherwise, I'm happy to take the lead. I got lots here. Okay. Can we start with the title? Mm. Mm. I approached it. So first off, full disclosure, all week, I have been thinking that the title of this book was Double Trouble. (laughs) How foolish of me. Your laughter, totally understandable. It's actually Double Love. What I am confused by is what the double love is. Having read the whole novel now, what is the double love? I mean, I see one love, which is, of course, Elizabeth and Todd. Yeah, I have two thoughts on this. The first is all of the book titles are cuckoo like this in the sense of like, they're these weird, vague, just sort of like expressions or just like things. And you're just like, 90% 90% of them could are interchangeable with the other books. And you're just like, why? Okay. Like, they're very weird. Like, they're like, second chance or broken heart or alone in the crowd or... Secret. Alone in the crowd's good. Alone in the crowd's actually a great one. You'll love it. It's all yeah. about whatever. But, or like, secrets, promises, broken promises, you know, double-crossed, primal fear. Like, they're just like, they're just like... <laughs> called primal fear no but like there would be you know what i mean like they're just like these sort of words that you will sort of feel that way almost every time there are some exceptions like alone in the crowd is kind of an exception but um i think double love first and foremost is trying to probably from a marketing perspective just introduce the idea of twins and like get that in people's ideas of like okay the first what's one, a twin yeah of, like double okay so there's just double of like alluding to the fact of twins and then i think double love could refer probably to multiple things like there's like the whole thing of like Todd and like potentially having a relationship with Elizabeth or potentially having a relationship with Jessica. There's also the fact of like Jessica pretending to be Elizabeth and like doubling in that way. Okay. I was pick I guess I'm thinking more double date. You know right, what I Right, mean? but like, again, think- you're more thinking of things that have a specific meaning. These are like double love especially. Double love is not an expression, right? It's not right. like Correct. That's why you thought it was double trouble because that is an expression. Yes. So it's oh, almost like, yes. right? Like yeah, you'll you'll notice that with a lot of them. Okay. My very first English class at Brandeis University, 
with Dr. Michelle Whalen. She said, when you analyze a work of literature, you start with the first paragraph. And in that par that paragraph is the engine for the entire text. Shall we to the first paragraph? Oh, Lizzie, do you believe how absolutely horrendous I look today? Wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. Point of fact, they're not Southern. No, no one is Blanche from, oh, from the Golden Girls. Do you believe there how absolutely? Oh, Lizzie, do you believe how? No, that was great. No, the, the, the back one. Okay. Oh, Lizzie. There we go. Do you believe how absolutely horrendous I look today? Jessica Wakefield groaned as she stepped in front of her sister Elizabeth and stared at herself in the bedroom mirror. I'm so gross. Just look at me. Everything's totally wrong. To begin with, I'm disgustingly fat. With that, she spun around to show off a stunning figure without an extra ounce visible anywhere. You know, you could make a case that this paragraph actually contains a lot of the complexities of Jessica's character, which is to say, you may start off reading this and say, wow, I'm being introduced to this sort of world of this series with uh, this dysmorphic kind of self-loathing uh, focused on her hating her appearance kind of girl and this is you know bad however if we take a second look what we realize is that this dysmorphia and sort of self-dissatisfaction is a performance it is self-aware and jessica is always putting on a show okay she always has her own kind of agenda and her dramatics are often a means to an end and we should not take her saying like oh i'm such an ugly at face value great I'd love to dig a little deeper, if you're willing. Okay. Because I do think... Wait, just based on not, the first paragraph or in general? Of course. Yeah. First paragraph. We're not ready to move on. To, uh, no. Are you kidding? Clear out your week. We're going to be here a while. I also hope you've already started the recording. Recording? You were going to record this against my knowledge so that we could turn it into a podcast. I've already said all my good stuff. I already said that Bruce Patman line. That was good. <laughs> All right, try, okay, <laughs> try more saying it like Patman, not Patman Man. You know what I mean? It's not Patman Man, it's like Patman. Patman. Oh, I hear that. Patman. I hear that. Mm -hmm. So you must have noticed, so it's probably stupid to point this out. You've read it a thousand times. Jessica steps in front of her sister. <laughs> There's this idea of replacement this idea of Dublin. attempting to overshadow this idea of who is who in this duality it's also as elizabeth in later paragraphs acknowledges a paradoxical dig where it's like she cannot insult herself without insulting her sister when it comes to that right and so it's like that right like exactly you're saying this sort of doubling the who's who of it all she's by saying i'm so ugly she's calling her ugly but it's this kind of plausible deniability there's a lot of like signs, I feel like in this one of Jessica's sort of tacit, first of all, her just like need for attention, which I want to talk about later. But Wait, also, we're talking about it now, of course. But Stepping also like her, her feelings, yeah, like her feelings of herself relative to Elizabeth. So the thing of her stepping in front of Elizabeth is maybe also gesturing to that. Um, I also want to talk about the idea of what is said, what is meant, even from the very opening moments. Jessica is crafting a narrative, crafting a vision of the world that we as readers are not intended to believe. 
she is undercut at the very moment. Like she says, I'm disgustingly fat. And we don't even get a second to think like, oh, is this really a novel about a fat woman? We immediately get the narrator stepping in and saying, no, no, no. There's not an extra ounce visible anywhere. Like we cannot take this woman's word to be indicative of any kind of truth. Then later she lies about sexual assault. Of course. So <laughs> believe me, we'll get there. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, we're set up to sort of not believe her. I mean, the entire, yeah, the, the replacement, yeah. the kind of story that is being told versus the under, the undercurrent of truth, that is the entire novel in this one paragraph. Jessica stepping in front of Elizabeth, taking Elizabeth's place, Jessica using Elizabeth, Jessica using Elizabeth as a cover. And yet, from this very first paragraph, we know that the truth will win. It's almost saying... Hey, reader, don't be anxious. First off, don't be anxious. She's not fat. You don't have to read a book about a fat person. God forbid. And then secondly, don't be anxious. The truth will come out. You know, and I, I think let us not forget about this absolutely glaring ellipsis. Yeah, believe me, I, I, I cannot forget about it. To me, the ellipsis is suggesting that she wants Elizabeth to jump in. And, yes. Right? And then I think what sort of corroborates that is... She calls her Lizzie. We know from later texts, I don't think it's actually explained in this one, but in later texts we find out that she that Elizabeth has a special soft thing for her when she calls her Lizzie. And there's this idea that like when she calls her Lizzie, it's in moments of authenticity or moments of love or moments of like closeness. And it's like, so it's showing us how she's being manipulative. I also just on a much more superficial level, highlighted this first sentence and just annotated what an absolutely wild first line of a novel and what a truly wild thing to say in front of your identical twin. <laughs> just such a like, we're immediately on Elizabeth's side. This reminds me of this, you're gonna laugh because I don't remember what the poem is or who wrote it or anything sure, about sure. it except. We'll get there. It reminds me of this poem that we studied in college and basically like what either Flesher or Morrison said about it. It's, it was that, I don't know if you were in this class or whatever, but I remember talking about it with Sabrina. But basically the poem was saying, was like talking about this vain woman looking in the mirror. But what, but what the Flesh or Morrison analysis of it was, was basically saying, look at how obnoxious this poet is because they want to write about a beautiful woman, but then in order to do so, have to write about a woman and then critique her for her vanity when it's really you created her to see her and talk about her and so now you're going to put her in a story where she has to be vain for looking in a mirror so that you can talk about her naked body i think that there's a parallel here which is like she's being shown to us as being vain but it's also like a vehicle for kate william nothing but respect to talk very enjoyably sometimes sometimes yeah. i think too enjoyably about how they look right so she's yeah. she's so vain but i get to hear about her shape perfectly shaped bronze leg if you don't mind there's so much sexualizing and objectifying. Yeah. There's and, also like a delight in the yes. evil that is Jessica. It feels like in some ways Kate is really like dancing with the idea, like really treasuring and cherishing and enjoying this like wicked woman. Don't worry. Like I said, I do think it rounds out. Oh, I don't hate it. She is always like this, Jessica, but like you see her real moments and you see her moments where she has heart. Like for example when she's going out on a date with Todd and she says to Lizzie and it seems genuine where she says like, Hey, like, do you actually have a thing for Todd? Cause like, I know you said you didn't, but like, it kind of seems like sometimes you have this far away look in your eyes and like, if you actually like him, I definitely won't go out with him. So like, tell me. 
And you read that as genuine. Oh yeah. Oh wow. I did not. Wow. Oh, now I want to go back to it. Maybe Me I too. Jessica says, yeah, okay, I'm going. Jessica hesitated at the door. Just one thing, Liv. Elizabeth looked up from the notes. Are you sure it's all right? You know about Todd and me and the dance? There was genuine concern in Jessica's blue-green eyes. Jess, I don't know what you're... Please tell me the truth. Sometimes you get a funny faraway look when Todd's name is mentioned. I wondered if you sort of liked him. If it makes you unhappy, I won't go out with him, I swear. I'll stay home tomorrow. By this time, Jessica was on the other side of the table, clutching Elizabeth's hands. She really seemed concerned, a flood of love for her sister. I believe she is authentic here because I believe, unless I'm forgetting something, like, she really didn't know Elizabeth's feelings about Todd. Like, she really didn't. Elizabeth hid it from her from the beginning. I, I believe if she knew Elizabeth cared, she, maybe she would still go out with him, but I, I do think she actually wanted to make sure. I do believe that was genuine. You don't? Why, then why would she do that gesture? Elizabeth didn't give her any reason that she needed to fake that. Like, Elizabeth wasn't... I I know where you're coming from. It's just very hard. I mean, can we remember that Todd called the house, asked to speak with Elizabeth, and Jessica lied about who he was calling for and why? Yeah, but her sort of capacity for... First of all, she flips and flops and acts different ways all the time and that's her but also her capacity for sort of denial or compartmentalizing is also very real so like I don't think those couldn't both be true like I could think yeah and later maybe she saw them interacting another time and saw something was like wait a minute I really do think that was real I guess I'm just conflating like it was so clear to me how into Todd she was that it would have to be clear to Jessica as well and maybe I'm conflating that maybe I'm doing that work myself it just for me I read the initial phone call betrayal as her saying like i know he likes liz elizabeth lizzie no you don't think that i don't think she let herself get like i think she sort of has plausible deniability with herself like if he said explicitly to her i don't like you i like elizabeth then she accepted but until then even if it's very obvious like she'll still try to get him she's aggressive with guys like that's how she is like she'll convince herself they like her unless she sees them with someone else like she's she's like that always that's why i believe because if you read it elizabeth there's no time where she outwardly is like doing stuff about todd or with todd or talking about todd or doing seeming certain kind of way or them having a moment or with jessica real like that just doesn't happen. I really believe Jessica didn't know. Anyway, I think it's open to both. But I guess I just think, like, there was no reason for her to... She hesitated at the door and then went back and said that. It's like, I don't think there would have been a reason for her yeah. to... You know? If it wasn't real. I think this is why it's so useful to read these with you. Because I think for a first-time reader, it is really hard to wrap your head around the fact that someone can be this evil to one's own sister and then in the same moment be like, I'm really concerned about you. I won't do this if you tell me not to. And that's what's tough about Jessica, but what's also so fascinating about her as a character and so interesting to explore is just her whole psychology. But again, the first paragraph told you not to believe her. So when she is being genuine concerned, how could you have believed her? We've been told yeah. she's a liar about even how fat she is. But so- <laughs> the, the most important thing one can have- And she could lie about body. that? Yeah. No, but it's true. Like. But, the, but I find this interesting about engaging with a book, and that's why it's sort of similar to Housewives in the sense that, like, sometimes she does things that are really, really abhorrent. And, like, there's an example in this book that happens later on um, where she falsely accuses Several. Todd, but specifically her accusation of Todd. Um, yeah, it's wild. But I don't know. What can I say? Over all the books, like, 
I've developed such an affection for her because she is all of these things and she has a lot of really wonderful qualities too. And maybe we haven't seen them yet, but she's, by the way, really funny. I wrote down some of her really funny lines in this book that made me laugh. And Elizabeth, okay. is, Elizabeth is a kind and whatever person, but she is not funny. Okay. If you can try to open your heart to the possibility of enjoying other aspects of Jessica, I do think they may emerge. I mean, I do think, so I guess I'd love to hear this very first scene. The only thing duller are my eyes. Look at that color, Liz. They're so blah. I mean, there should be a telethon just for all the things that are wrong with me. That, I that line is so it's funny. It's funny. There should be a telethon. I can't even, so I guess what I want to know from you, and that this isn't something you can answer. I just, I'd love to hear your impressions. Uh-huh. Does she know she's doing this to Elizabeth? Yes. So this is kind of funny. Yes. This is, so she knows she's critiquing herself when she is doing so in front of someone who looks identical to her. And, yes, and she also knows that it's all a complete joke as far as what she's saying is all not true, right? Like, Right. It, it's a bit. It's a bit. It's a complicated, it's like... And, like, her whole thing is dramatics. You'll notice she never sort of sits anywhere. She flops over. She collapses onto the... Like, it's never a normal... This is the biggest thing in 137 states. She 137 is her favorite number. Yeah. She says it what, every book. What do we make of that? I think it's just they wanted to give her a quirk, so she'll always be like 137 million, 137,000. But sometimes no. it's other hundreds and 37, so it's, it does change sometimes. But I'm gonna need a little more analysis there. Like, what does 137 mean? Where do we see one? Is 137 in the Bible? Like, I don't know. We should do some numerology. Yeah, there's got to be something though, because there's no way it's just like, oh, it's 137. I'm curious, like, did you have any thoughts on just the Wakefield family in general? Like, the parents, Stephen? Yeah. Any sort of... No, no, I didn't have any thoughts. Okay, but, like... I mean, their family is fucked, and they need boundaries and therapy. Like, you would not believe... Like, I mean, the way that they all talk to each other is so weird to me. For example? Like, like the way Jessica tells Stephen how hot he is all the time? Yeah, I mean, there's an example. She also talks about her dad being hot. Yeah. Well, no, um, Ned is undeniably handsome. It was more like for his age, he could get a lot of women. But Alice is a hottie, too. Don't sleep on Alice. With her page, her page boy blonde haircut? I haven't gotten a lot of Alice love yet, but the idea that she's like, well, of course Mariana wants my dad. My dad's so hot. It's like, okay, but this is your dad? Like... Yeah, but at least, she, at least she just thought that or whatever. She wasn't, like, singing to his face like some fucking perv. Like, when she said it to Stephen, like, you're so handsome. You're so hot. And then Stephen and Elizabeth being like, yeah, you ugly piece of... It's like, okay, you guys need to... This is, like, yeah. succession level, like, take it down a notch. Bore on the floor. Bore on the floor. Kendall, ring the troops. Bore on the floor. Bore on the floor. But I will say that sort of gets less. Okay, because... It, they just, like, all have such weird bounds. Like, Stephen keeps coming home, and he's coming home to see a, a girl, but he won't tell her who. And so they, like, get really involved. And it's like, but this is this is your brother. What if we just all took a step, a big, a big, healthy step back? I think they were a little more noticing that he's, like, A, it was the combination of him, like, A, coming home from college more often than usual. He doesn't usually come home every weekend, so they know there's, like, some. But then he's, like, not telling them, like, that he's seeing someone, but it's, like, sort of unusual. It was never said, but it felt a little like, ooh, Steven's banging. Like, who's Steven banging? They talk about it like friends who don't have boundaries. 
Okay. I mean, I'm not saying they have boundaries. One random thing I want to say about this particular book is, and this is just one of the necessary things to move the plot along, which I completely understand, but it did really bother me when Todd started to ask Liz to the dance and then the bell rings and he's like, we better go. We're going to be late. Let's finish this yeah. conversation. I'm like, you were literally in the middle of a sentence. You can make it to your class. Like, let's just wrap it up here. Like, let's. Yeah. Yeah. There was there were many things where yeah. it's like a single conversation, any even a moment of critical thinking skills. Both girls were five feet six on the button and generously blessed with spectacular all-American good looks. So, My note is read white. Exactly, and that this is, you know, one of the things we would be remiss not to sort of address is this reinforcing, sort of taken for grantedness of whiteness equaling American, equaling all-American, and so on. Yeah, totally. And the, the size six figures is an absolute fetish in this book. Yeah. Um, one question I have is what kind of lawyer is Ned? Because I feel like in the various books I've been reading, and we'll see, but I just feel like he's, they never really say exactly what he does, but like he's always sort of doing something kind of random and different. And I'm just like, what kind of lawyer is he? And then there's one book where he's like, I'm not a criminal lawyer, but then he like does this criminal case. But I'm just like, and sometimes it seems like he is. Like, I'm just like, what is he? Okay. So I mean, if that, you can... We're jumping way ahead. No, I'm just putting but it out as a question. have gotten into a segment that I like to call, what is the legal system here? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Where you can get arrested for just literally existing at a bar, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I was thinking more the court case where, so the school has let its lease lapse. Yeah. And so the people who want to who own the, the land want to put a factory there. The school is, is, I guess, suing to not have that happen. And then Bruce Patman's family is, or no, sorry, the Fowlers. Is it the Fowlers who want the English garden? No. The so Fowlers... this is a three-party lawsuit? Okay. So I had trouble with this too. And the way I sort of was able to, I'm not yeah. saying by any means resolve it, but just sort of tell myself a little story where I could move Great. on. <laughs> The little story I told myself, which I don't understand either, was this. The lease ran out. Patman or Fowler, whichever one of the, say Fowler, was like getting ready to buy it or like that deal was in progress or something. And then someone, whether it's the Board of Education, whether it's like... Sounds like it's the Board of Education. I guess the Board of Education sort of raised this question of, is there some sort of like community relevance here that should be considered? Is there some, should this be a community landmark? Should it be... Or should it give some special status because of the sort of history? Like, I got the sense that they're sort of making this special case. What doesn't sit right with me, Robert, is I feel like that would happen more at, like, a town hall yeah, or something. Not, a not at, like, a courtroom. But I didn't see it. It's like, sense. But I thought it's, like, maybe they're trying to make an injunction on it or something. So it's, like, it ha it's not a lawsuit, but they're trying to maybe make an injunction. And then, meanwhile, Patman comes in and says, and actually, I think it should be a garden. And so they're all just showing up. But, no, it doesn't make sense. But that's what I told myself, and I said, okay. I mean, but, like, the way that the courtroom scene is described, like, each party has lawyers, and each group of lawyers gets to make a statement. So this is a three-way lawsuit. Yeah, it was deranged. It was deranged. And Marianne West? Mariana, I believe. Mariana, sorry. You put some respect on her name. She is now a partner. When she used to be his assistant? Yeah. Question Okay. That's how that works. So what happens in a court case is each of the lawyers stands up and speaks for a minute and makes an impassioned plea in front of high schoolers who are in the journalist box. 
Hey, and she knew it was makes a decision. She knew it was Board of Education v. Fowler, so <laughs> it's just like they Yeah, no, it makes she no sense. School to go to the courtroom and they were like, Oh yes, of course, there's a press room for this case. Maybe the press room has you know what, Robert No, I agree with you. It makes no sense. It absolutely it makes no sense. It is just the legal system here is truly hilarious to me also did liz skip school to cover this for the school newspaper and like she's the only school reporter available to cover her father's court case like mr collins keeps being like just make sure you're impartial just make sure you're impartial and it's like just find someone else that really bothered me too she absolutely should have recused herself and mr collins saying be impartial and then reading it and being like well this is objective good job liz what no. Something in the milk ain't clean. Speaking of milk, I'd like to move to our next segment called Milk Count. And my milk count for this book is two. Elizabeth had milk twice. And that's all for that segment. <laughs> Does that include any kind of cereals or is this just glasses of milk? Well, she took the carton out twice and we didn't actually see her drink it, but it was sort of implied. And then one time we saw her drink a glass. I also want to talk about, you may have noticed some of the interesting food that they like to eat. I'm not sure I did, but what food do they eat? Okay, two meals that stood out to me that I wrote down was number one. Oh, was it duck à l'orange? It was duck à l'orange, creamed asparagus. Creamed asparagus? And chilled, have you par ever? and chilled parfait. Have you, could you imagine? Which we are going to do a fuck, Mary kill with, which is another segment and I have a few ready. <laughs> So yeah, the deco orange, the cream asparagus, and so on. But then the other funny meal you may have noticed at the Dairy Burger, usually they're getting burgers, fries, and shakes. Yeah, but someone at some point said, it might have been Steven said, hey, what do you say we go to the Dairy Burger for some clams and shakes? Eh, I thought that worked to me. Okay, well, you're going to find out in a later book that the Dairy Burger launches a new clam special. It's called like Clam Surprise or something. It's really, really disgusting, and they go into a lot of detail. <laughs> I mean, I think that's probably why that stood out to you. No, just clams and shakes, like... I don't know. I just, maybe I'm not a clam person. Okay, but fuck, Mary kill. Duck à l'orange, cream well, asparagus, chilled uh, parfait. Well, yeah, first. Mary, duck à l'orange. Sorry. No, no. Um, I gotta fuck that chilled parfait. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill that cream asparagus. Because I can't even picture what cream asparagus is. This is wild because we're literally so different. I would kill the duck orange because I hate duck. I can't even not eat it. Oh, I love duck. And then I would have to Big marry the. Over here. I would marry the parfait, and so I would have okay. to fuck the asparagus, which I don't want to do. But at least it's just once. <laughs> very quickly, I have a very funny spinoff where Jessica becomes a recruiter for the NBA. She's on the phone with Todd, and she goes, "I always make it a point to watch the best players." You know, you could probably play professionally one of these days if you really wanted to, Todd. And then just thinking about her being like an NBA recruiter is so funny. Like, she's a scout. She's like going out to, the, to watch the games to see who she should recruit. It's very funny to me. She, like Barbie, has done a lot of different gigs. And she's always has some kind of scheme going on. And wait till you get to the one where she, where the, it's called Tofu Glow. It's basically an MLM. She gets in way over her head with this stuff called Tofu Glow. Hey. So, tuxedo shirt, tuxedo pants, bow tie, question marks? Yeah, I don't really know what exactly she means by that. I just, I couldn't even picture. So, she's wearing, like, I guess a tailored women's like a, tuxedo? Yeah, like, I almost was picturing, like, a tuxedo that, like, a woman would wear on a red carpet kind of thing. But I'm like, that's 
fancy for school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, the thing you just described doesn't exist. A tuxedo that a woman would wear on the red carpet. It's like a women's tuxedo, basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's a women's tuxedo is what we're talking about. Or like no a jacket. women's suit with a tuxedo yeah. shirt. I don't know. And a bow tie. Are there, are there like studs and collar and um what's the what's the word um what's the word for that cufflinks like what is this fashion what are other people thinking when jessica walks into school in a tuxedo shirt tuxedo pants and a bow tie i wonder i also i guess i'm just now realizing it. i'm picturing it as a sleeveless tuxedo shirt i'm not sure why very sexy. I think she probably gets to school. She probably, you know, opens the tie, kind of loosens, the, opens the top. Oh, yeah. she, she kind of rolls up. Those, you know, she's kind of playing it cool. You know, takes off her little <laughs> top hat. The hat. Guido's Pizza Palace. Oh, I want to go there. Let me tell you, when Guido's is in the house, there's nothing better. When someone shows up at the Wakefield's door with two pizzas and Alice or Ned thought to pick up some on their way home, and uh, they go freaking eat it on the patio, or when they eat Chinese food, which again, I don't know if Ned's allergic to because every book says something different about his fucking allergy <laughs> to Chinese food, but I love when they get... Racist, by the way. When they get Guido's or when they get Chinese food and they eat it on the patio, it's so good. I mean, the delivery man wearing stereo headphones and a tomato-stained apron... Walks in the classroom carrying a humongous, steaming, smelly pepperoni pizza. Uh, oh, I want it real bad. What did you think of those pranks? I thought they were pretty tame. I loved them. Yeah, they were fun. I Good. lulled. You know, I, when, when she goes, see, we wondered how much heat the pizza would lose from get, I mean. Mr. Russo had to give it up. Even Mr. I Russo had it. to smile. And thank you, thank you for bringing Mr. Russo into the conversation. Because I need to read this gross description. Oh, I have notes on that. I said he is an abuser. He reminds me of my graduate advisor. And you don't need to believe that, producer. Okay. Uh, producer, please, please, <laughs> please, please do believe that. Bob Russo was the most brilliant and most demanding teacher at Sweet Valley. He was highly temperamental with a biting sense of humor. You never knew when he would cut you down or stare you into a tiny, shrinking smudge for saying something stupid. Every girl at school was terrified. I'm sorry, every kid at school was terrified of him. Yeah, that's my advisor. So, A, terrifying. B, I think this is supposed to be a little sexy. It's like he's got a powerful, sexy, evil thing. But where are you seeing that in the text? I think it's sub. I really don't think it is because I've not seen them say like. Okay. And you know they would because they're obsessed with who's attractive. Yeah, like they don't say like people had a crush on him or he was handsome or like I've never seen anything like that about Mr. Russo. I could be wrong. Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. You know, meanwhile, yeah. talk about Rick Andover. Talk about sexy. Hey, heaven, which way to Mars? What? <laughs> I'm like, hey, heaven and heavenly. What in the world? I love. Hey, heaven, which way to Mars? I love the way they talk about Mariana West. It is among the least hinged things I have ever heard. The way that, so let's start with the way that they talked about her. I don't know, Liz, she sounded pretty seductive on the phone. Who said that, Jessica? Yes. But this also gets into like the weird boundaries stuff. Dad certainly works hard enough. He's out late practically every night. Lizzie, I've been wondering about that. Does that seem funny? dad out every night and one night i called his office and that new woman lawyer answered you heard dad what dad called her this morning mariana and then in chapter two you'll remember my hit segment did francine pascal invent that mm -hmm. 
Did she invent the Spice Girls? Did she invent saying shook? Okay, I knew you were, I highlighted that too. I knew you were going to like that. She did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think she literally invented saying shook. Mm-hmm. Um, Patmans and Fowlers are fighting. I do want to say one thing about that, if I may. I did sort of notice, like, some of the ways that this first book kind of sets up the, like, infrastructure of the world. And, you know, one of the big themes that is, like, very present is the kind of, like, old money, new money. Um, Oh, yeah. Beef and the sort of thing with the Patmans and the Fowlers and it going back generations and the sagas. And, you know, there's that whole side thing about the sagas that goes, the sort of Amy Tan ones, and that goes back to the histories of those families and everything else. These sort of, like, themes around wealth and status but then also the like very big themes of rumors and like reputation and like a reputation sullying by like being around like the wrong kind of people like yeah like that's like a huge theme in the whole series is like that's the wrong kind of person that comes up a lot there there's the moment that i found really interesting when jessica is like you can't do that elizabeth because if people see you doing that they might think it's me and that would ruin my reputation. It's when she's with Enid. She says like if-, if Yeah, people, exactly. of, which, course, of course, of but course. But Robert, when I read that, I was like, that seems like characteristic of Jessica. Like in the later books, like she's not as insecure or something that way. It's like not, it's, it's not how she would usually be, but I noticed that too. But yeah, it's a huge, huge thing. Um, I mean, there's also the idea, so the Patmans want every rock in Sweet Valley to stay exactly where it's been for 50 years. The Fowlers want to- Because of course their money comes from canning. Whereas the Fowlers are from silicon chips. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I need to push you into analysis. I need to push you beyond reporting back what's happening in the text. There's this tension between progress and holding on to the past. What do we gain when we move forward versus what do we lose? And the Patmans are so terrified of change. They want everything to stay the same. And the Fowlers drive for change. And on the very next page, Jessica says, tomorrow, you may be a tomorrow person. I am a today person. Mm. They're, they're caught between girlhood and womanhood. So much of the struggle, so much of the complexity of the text is in this liminal state in which these women find themselves. She's at Kelly's, but she's too young to be there, but she's there. And so much of Jessica's identity and the way she's described has to do with, like, her lack of interest in commitment or how she loses interest in things after 15 minutes. Or, like, she's interested in the trend of the week or the boy of the week. She doesn't want to have a boyfriend. like, um, And she's not thinking about the future. She'll worry about it when she gets there. Uh, there was this great line I read in one of them recently that was, like, she's like, my motto is, why put off to tomorrow what I could put off to the day after tomorrow? It's like, that's, you know? <laughs> that's good. Yeah. But there's just this, this really interesting tension about growing up, about leaving things behind, what is lost. And, and we see that like throughout, like it echoes throughout the book. Like Stephen leaves and then keeps coming back. Like he can't grow up, he can't leave, he can't change. And what happens when they have to start dealing with more grown up problems, like things in the family? Like, not a spoiler, but later in the series. I feel like you're just going to spoil it. Okay, then all I'll say is like seeing how they the twins sort of react differently and interpret differently to sort of more serious and adult situations and problems also is like an interesting way of reminding that they actually are kids. Um, I love that. Yeah. 
under my segment, did Francine Pascal invent that? Very quickly. Elizabeth wrote the eyes and ears column for the Oracle, but no one knew who the writer of the column was, and Elizabeth couldn't even tell her best friend about it. Gossip Different girl. T- yeah, of course. And 100%. the answer is yes. Yeah. Except, of course, unlike Gossip Girl, eyes and ears is always kind, it's never cruel, and people are never upset to me in there. I mean... It's very lighthearted with a few exceptions. It is cruel to Elizabeth when she has to report her sister's relationship. Mm-hmm. But she's also kind of a masochist, especially in this book. Sure. You know, Elizabeth isn't so perfect, you know? Especially if you ever read Elizabeth's secret diary, which is one of the side ones, you'll see she once did something very naughty. Anyway. Yeah, to that. She did two naughty things. Anyways. So can we talk a little bit about sororities? How weird is it? There aren't sororities in high school. <laughs> Are there not ever? I don't know. No, they're not ever. No. Have you ever heard of it? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it makes uh, no sense. The other thing I, I'm like, can you, and I, it's hard because you have so much more knowledge than I do, but I also like don't want you to tap into too much of that knowledge. But like, so Enid Rollins, how does she get in? It's the most exclusive sorority in the school and she gets in and she only did it to be with Elizabeth and Elizabeth only did it to be with Jessica. And none of this makes any sense? I don't know, because we never actually saw that happen. Like, it's never actually depicted in the series. And so we don't know what Enid's dares were, what her process was. I don't know. Oh, it's, it's a great question, because she you. is, of course, a fucking nerd. But maybe her proximity to Elizabeth, they let her in, and Elizabeth to Jessica. I don't know. I really don't know. And then, just to clarify, is Enid hot or no? Such a good question. She's definitely not hot. I think she's more, you could call her cute or pretty. Okay. You know, she has her balancing brown curly hair. She has yeah. her she has her pretty green eyes. I think she has a smattering yeah. of freckles, maybe. Yeah, it's it's just confusing because the first issue we get of her is that she's pretty, but then Jessica wouldn't be caught dead having people think that they're together. She's such an embarrassment. And then she gets into the sorority. Yeah, but I think her being the sorority is sort of it's a bit of an anomaly that her and Elizabeth are there. And I think she gets status from proximity to Elizabeth a little bit. But yeah, that's valid. I just don't really see it so much a contradiction. And I think also Jessica mellows to Enid over time. But I think it's just yeah. like, yeah, but it's but it's not unusual that you have someone who is pretty, but they're not cool at school. You know what I mean? Like she's not okay. cool at school. Like she's not with the popular girls and she doesn't have that kind of personality or whatever. So Jessica thinks she's a loser, but like she is technically attractive. You know what I mean? Yeah, but then how did she get into the sorority? The most exclusive sorority, the most important exclusive Probably sorority. Probably by being friends with Elizabeth. And maybe they were like, maybe Jessica said, you know, I'll, I'll I don't know. I don't know, Robert. But I'm, okay. that that doesn't hold me up in any way. Okay, can we just talk about what happened? I, I want to talk about rape culture in Sweet Valley. Oh, we, we're already there? Let's just talk about it. Wait, let me see. Let me just make sure I don't have any other, like, before that notes. Okay. Okay, I actually did not read this to you, and I really should have. Please. Jessica is truly one of the most wretched characters in all of literature. I pray for her speedy death. <laughs> she doesn't wear a watch because nothing starts until she gets there. Is she some kind of narcissistic monster? Or does she have, the, have superpowers that freeze time? Okay, so... That was more being funny. That's you know funny. what? You know what's interesting? I think my perspective has actually changed since being a Housewives fan. Because when I was a kid, when I read these when I was younger, I found Jessica extremely frustrating. And I I sort of like was really bothered by her. But now maybe I'm more used 
I'm used to watching women that are abhorrent and I'm entertained by them and I, <laughs> and I take pleasure in it. And that's part of the thing is like, so I'm okay with like, I don't ask that of her. She's not there to be good. She is who she is. And like, yes, she has abhorrent quality. She does abhorrent things, but like she's there to sort of provide a contrast to Elizabeth. She's there to have experiences and learn lessons. And like for me to be delighted by her and she's funny, she's entertaining. She brings a lot to the table and yeah, she fucks up all the time, but she also makes things happen and she gets into zany adventures. And like, we would never know about Tofu Glow if it weren't for her. Like she's fun and like she's entertaining. And like, that's her job as a housewife. Like not to be necessarily like the best person in the world. You'll, you might be interested to read my next note then. Wait, Jessica is like actually evil? Lying to her sister about Todd's call? Um, am I secretly into her? <laughs> I love her. And then my other notes, how did Enid possibly get into the story? I really hope they didn't let her in just to mock her in some kind of Carrie style cruel joke. No, but there was a lot of that in store for various other people trying, I figured trying to join various clubs in the future. <laughs> various Carrie style <laughs> situations. Okay. You know, and it's and it starts as a joke and then it starts as a prank and then they fall in love and then it's, you know, they, they realize and it's too late and all the rest of it. And they can't text each other because they don't phone, so they gotta write a letter and then the letter falls and is Elizabeth, uh, sorry, Jessica is so transparently manipulative. Is Elizabeth supposed to be stupid? Like, you can be a good person and still be aware of being played, right? I, I didn't think Elizabeth was so stupid. One thing I do want to say, though, about the thing where Jessica didn't correct the cops of her identity and, like, let everyone go on believing it was Elizabeth, from, from just a writing perspective, I felt that it was a huge flaw that they made it that Elizabeth went along with that when there was no apparent stakes that was higher for Jessica than her. Like the only reason that Elizabeth, and I'm not saying Elizabeth wouldn't go along with it. Like there are some scenarios that she would, but the fact that she now has a police have her name and like, that's a pretty serious thing for someone like Elizabeth. And like, she absolutely would not just go along with it. And then at the end, Jessica, Jessica says, well, I was on my third mark, which like doesn't really make sense, but at least it's something, but it's like, yeah. she should have told her that at the beginning, because then at least we would have some reason why Elizabeth might be sympathetic to keep the secret. But it's like, in absence of that, Elizabeth is just as vulnerable. It's just a bigger risk for her. So just from a writing perspective, I felt they really needed to move that stakes yeah. so that we understood why. The other thing that was confusing to me was that is totally in line with Jessica's personality and totally not in line with Elizabeth's personality. And they look the same. So why did no one at any point think like, oh, maybe it was actually Jessica the whole time? Like it's, it's so confusing to me the way that the people in this town do not have critical thinking skills or understand what being a twin means. We could have a segment of just like use your brain because like yeah yeah there's a lot of situations like that and also one of my biggest pet peeves is when there's like a sort of hostile or like abusive or like kidnapping or like situation <laughs> they literally always go to the second location like it'll be the person will be like in public with them and they'll be like come with me and they'll just be like okay and then they get in the car and they're like i hope someone finds me i'm like why did you get in the car you were in a public place they weren't going to do anything like um before we get into rape culture sorry Roger Collins is so gross, we should not know his first name. We know... Bob Russo, is that his name? I, I don't know Russo's first name, but we know um, Mrs. Dalton, Miss Dalton, the French teacher, we know her first name's Nora. Okay, maybe that's fine then. How gross is this? I know how you must feel, Roger Collins sighed sympathetically, pushing back a stray lock of his strawberry blonde hair. 
but I've always found hard work to be the best painkiller. A, ew. And B, what terrible advice. It is terrible advice, but I sort of thought you were going to like it because he's moving her away from that conversation to get back into, like, professional work. So I thought you were going to say, like, okay, he's, like, being kosher here because he's not, like, indulging in being like, oh, tell me more about your romance life and stuff. Like, no. Okay. I mean, what she should say, he should say is, like, hey, it seems like you're having a hard time. Why don't you find an age-appropriate peer to have this conversation with? Maybe Enid Rollins. I won't comment on her attractiveness. There's a whole hotline called Project Project Youth that she could call. It comes up later. Um, I think we're ready for rape culture. Jessica felt a tiny twinge of panic. Why was Todd ignoring her? Had something happened to the Wakefield magic? Impossible, she told herself. She was still the most fantastic girl in school. So why didn't Todd know it? Tears of angry frustration filled her eyes. She decided she would walk home from school. Whenever she was out walking, she never failed to attract a good deal of attention for passing cars. And then she Ew. swung her hips. Um, the more the better, she thought, swinging her hips a little as she set off. The fuck? So I think there's a lot to discuss. The thing that is, I for me, is the biggest sort of important thing to talk about is the normalization and sort of downplaying of sexual assault, sexual harassment and stuff like by men. And the like, basically it's like what we're presented with in this book is like basically boys will be boys sort of thing. And it's like very casually spoken about. For example, one of the examples is when Jessica's in that situation with Rick and he is like not letting her leave the bar and he's sort of like not letting her get away from him and he's sort of trying to assault her and kiss her or whatever it is. And like when she tells Liz about it, I don't know. It sort of like isn't taken seriously and she's seen as this so bad guy for like all she did was go to a bar but it's like she's so there's so much like shame around this whole thing but like what about the fact that she was like kind of victimized by this guy and she was scared and that was real and it's like never really talked about again and then when she accuses Todd falsely later of like sort of doing something similar at the doorstep at the end of the night and Elizabeth is like understandably upset about it but then when it sort of is revealed that she made that up she sort of just says like oh i made it up because like oh da, 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 da. and liz is like oh okay and it's just like not really acknowledged or considered as like a serious thing to say about someone that like shouldn't be taken lightly it's more considered just like on par with the other sort of bullshit that jessica does and then the other th moment i felt like that was sort of casually referenced was when elizabeth said she was happy to go to the dance with winston because at least she wouldn't have to worry about like going on a date and then worry about like being groped at the end of the night and grabbing oh. hands and having to and i'm just like why is that considered normal for like a date so it's just like yeah i feel like that we're very much being like set up for that perspective to build on the whole todd allegation stuff yes obviously jessica's allegations are like disgusting and terrible and wrong what's interesting to me is that the way that elizabeth yes. and therefore us kind of understand them is through the lens of like what it does to her crush on todd at no point is she like oh, worried about she jessica yeah well not, even, well not worried about jessica but like worried about the need for justice or the need to yeah like do something to make sure that other people are safe from yeah. this predator it's all just like oh i like this guy and now i can't like this guy and that's that yeah totally and it's so it's just a really bizarre way to deal and think deal with and think about sexual assault as like the main bad thing about sexual assault is that it means that I can't have a crush on the guy I had a crush on. 
Can I propose a reading? Jessica, when she had her victimization by Rick Andover, wasn't, wasn't able to be seen or be heard about this. And, oh my gosh. And when she told, ah! when she told Liv. Ah! Oh, this is so good. Oh my gosh. When, Becky, welcome to the realm of analysis. Thank you. When she told Liz, I actually noticed that Liz interrupted her mid-sentence. She literally cut her off, you know, as a parallel or double to Jessica stepping in front of her in the mirror, she literally like silenced her as she was saying that Rick was grabbing her and not letting her go. Liz literally cut her off mid-sentence. And so what if the sort of story about Todd isn't so much this simple reason of, oh, well, she wanted to make Elizabeth think he was bad or like that, that she wouldn't know she was rejected by him or something like that to like save face. But it was more to like actually get a chance to uh -huh. share her, basically her trauma and be heard because she needed a witness to it and she literally hasn't been able to talk to anyone about it. Sorry, that's brilliant. That is such an interesting, layered, nuanced understanding of like trauma. Because you know what? Normally I would, and I'm not even kidding, normally I would say, okay, that's an overread. But I just kept, I really was thinking like, it does seem sort of like this parallel where it was sort of the same level of assault, quote unquote, of like yeah. what Rick actually did and what she claimed Todd did. And the fact of like the fact that those both happened in the same book and like that she said that and that no one found out about Rick because it was so sort of overshadowed by this other stuff and all the shame. Whereas with Todd, there wouldn't be that element of shame because she didn't do anything wrong. She didn't go to the bar and Todd's a good boy and she should have known better with Rick, right? It's like she's very clearly the victim in that situation, if yeah. it happened. She needs to render her trauma legible, and this is the only way to do so. And, like, validate And get, like, validation. Yeah, although she gets none. Well, she does, sort of. I mean, right, Elizabeth? I mean, Elizabeth does say, like, oh, that's terrible. Or, like, she does at least sort of respond in that way versus cutting her off mid-sentence like she did the last time. True. The part of me having which way to Mars opens up my neck, did Francine Pascal invent this? Did Francine Pascal invent negging and pickup artists? I'm driving you home. That is, unless your mommy warned you never to take rides with strangers. I don't think Francine Pascal invented that. What? Like, I feel like they okay. had that, like, in Greece and stuff. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but, like, yeah, he's disgusting. But it's so interesting, like, the, the just... <laughs> You think they had negging and pickup artists in Greece? Like, I feel like Kinnicky sort of like negged people or something, right? Like, didn't he sort of neg like the one who? Oh was... my god! I thought you meant ancient Greece. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about like Socrates. Them too. Okay, so Socrates being like two two pieces makes one or whatever. <laughs> okay, um. <laughs> the, the description of Jessica's sort of reactions to his grossness is so interesting. Like when it's like a shiver went down her spine, but she was excited. Or when she's like, when it says like she was squirming in her seat. She was, there was like one line where it's like she's squirming and like being, she's upset. It's, it's this attention. It's this gaze. And one of the saddest things about this book is at least in this universe of this book, there is no safe and healthy way for her to explore that attention. Well, cheerleading. Because, cheerleading. I think cheerleading I mean, is a great outlet for her. What? I think you're definitely right. First, I'm just, cheerleading is a great outlet for her. 
It was a really funny, like, guidance counselor <laughs> response. Well, it is. You're saying that there's no healthy way for her to get that attention. I think with cheerleading, she gets that attention. She gets some nice exercise, makes some friends, has leadership roles. I think, like, there are no... It doesn't feel like there are appropriate men for her to explore and think and kind of do this with. You know what I mean? Like, well, there's, there's like, Rick, but he's disgusting. No, there's, like, a whole array of nice guys at Sweet Valley High that she goes out with on a sort of casual basis. Like, there's this guy... Just Ken- in this book, I mean. Oh, well, yeah, not, not, not in this book. Can I make a comment on something unrelated? I was really impressed by Steven's kind of nuanced reflection on how he'd been acting with Trisha. And if I could read you a passage. The anguished tale poured out of Steven. He heaped abuse upon himself as he told them how he had pretended that her family's problems didn't matter. He loved her anyway, he told her, and he was above that sort of thing. She saw right through me, Stephen said bitterly. She saw the truth, a truth I didn't even realize that I was ashamed of her family, that I didn't consider her good enough for me, but that I would accept her out of the goodness of my heart. What an idiot I was, da 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 da. And he says he realizes like he was being patronizing. And I just feel like that whole, that's a pretty subtle, like him sort of like in the moment thinking he was doing the right thing by saying he liked her anyway. And, and for him to sort of now realize that like he was lying to himself and he actually, and that he was doing that to make him feel good is, and, and that he actually did have a problem with it, but that he actually does love her, but that he needs to find another, it's not about loving her anyway kind of thing. Yeah. I think is pretty cool. I was like, I, I enjoyed like seeing him sort of reflect on that. I love that. You're way far, what, like what chapter is that? You're way far ahead. Oh, well, that's, I don't have that many notes left. That's oh somewhere at the, you know, that's at the end when he kind of reconciles with her. Sorry, I'm going back and forth. I, so in chapter five, speaking of weird boundaries and problems, Jessica was surprised to see her mother so uptight. She was usually pretty calm to th- calm about things. Come to think of it, she'd been uncharacteristically tense for the past week or so. Could it have something to do with the fact that both she and dad had been working so hard lately and spending so little time with each other? But dad had Mariana West to keep him company during those late nights at the office. Mariana West was beautiful, divorced, and most of all, available. But this Robert, is, we, like, she is basically saying, like, wow, my mom really needs to get laid, and my dad is not doing it to her. I don't see it that way, I guess. And I don't She's see it as... She's so uptight. They've been working so hard, spending so little time together. But that's not about getting laid. It's like she's actually noticing her parents seem alienated from each other which i believe is a very real thing and i can say from my own experience as a child of divorce they're noticing that their parents i, I don't think it's a boundary crossing because their parents aren't talking about it with them but that mm. she's noticing like to me that seems actually realistic that her mom would just seem a l- tiny bit more uptight than usual it's like a small difference but she's no she's feeling it and she's clocking that they're not spending time together she's clocking that they're working late at the office like, like i don't know that seems normal to me I mean, Jessica always goes to the sort of catastrophe and the dramatic. Yeah. But, like... And sensual. She's very sensual, this Jessica. Yeah, more more than is normal, I think. But this, this to me, seems, like, realistic. The end of chapter 8. Though the day was still warm, Enid shivered and pulled on a shirt. <laughs> she had made a decision. He must never know about me. <laughs> never. He must never know about the time she was arrested after that horrible accident. Lost in thought about herself, Enid forgot all about Elizabeth's problems. It's like, we get it. I actually thought that was sort of a good build because a little bit before then they have Ronnie 
Like, yeah. they have you sort of realize this about her character development, like, through her reactions to Ronnie, and, like, Ronnie being so judgmental, is now we're starting to see, and they hint at it, right? Because she's, like, it starts with her saying something like, well, something about, it showed her a side of Ronnie that she made her a little bit uncomfortable, and it didn't yeah. say anything about her yet, and then you're like, and she maybe had some secrets you could never know, and then you're like, mommy, me, an, an accident, and then later but she's, But don't you know, arrested. So, yeah, I, I love, so you know how, like, because their mother's an interior designer and she has a blooming interior design business, like, the twins, we don't know that yet. Okay. The twins often have to, we do, the twins often have to help with dinner. They don't say because their dad works, they say because their mom works there to help with dinner. But anyways, one of the things we know is that they, they're responsible for a bunch of chores and, like, a lot of times they have to help with dinner a bunch of nights in the week. Sometimes she leaves a frozen casserole, sometimes the girls just make whatever. But I love when... I get to hear about them making dinner because it's like, oh, it's like they're sort of like, wow, they're only teenagers, but like they could take on this like pretty adult, like they're making a pretty good meal. Like Elizabeth makes a pretty good meal and she's like pretty much can be responsible. And you're like, yeah, teenagers can cook dinner. And it's like, I like seeing them do chores and do responsibilities. And I like when the Wakefields make them like work for stuff. And like, I love it when they have to like make dinner, but it's for a last minute. They realize like mom's not gonna be home or something. And so Elizabeth has to sort of like go around the kitchen, just sort of see what's there and figure out something to make. And then like, she'll look in the mom cookbook and be like, what can I make? And she has like, oh, well here's pasta. And here is like sun-dried tomatoes. I guess I can figure out something from that. It's like so fun. Like, yes, go, go set the table. And it's like, oh, they're setting the table just for the two of them. Um, there's this gross moment where Wynn is talking about the kind of girls that he gets set up with. Who? It goes like this, Wynn, have I got a girl for you? What a personality. Oh. That always means 250 pounds and, fi and two foot five. Yeah. I have to put a hamburger on the floor so she can reach it. Yeah, that was really upsetting. That was tough. That was tough. He's, he's a nice guy. He becomes more endearing later. Chapter 15, which is the court case. Potentially my favorite moment of the entire book. We're watching Elizabeth take notes during the trial. She cannot believe that Mariana West is, is talking. She can't believe this is happening. This woman, she's such a slut. She's so terrible. She's awful. She froze when she, she noticed She calls her a pushy creature. A creature. She froze when she noticed that her dad had his arms slung around Mariana's shoulders in front of everyone. What was going on? When Ned Wakefield walked over and introduced the two of them, Elizabeth could scarcely find her voice. Fortunately, Mariana didn't notice. She was all smiles, bubbling over with her success in the courtroom. She greeted Elizabeth warmly. Ned told me what beautiful daughters he had, but I had no idea. Elizabeth blushed, overcome with confusion. Mariana was no phony. She was even someone Elizabeth felt she could like, a thought that made her feel traitorous toward her mother. So she hates this woman, hates this woman, can't stand this woman, this evil slut. She is the worst in the world. She is breaking up the family. She is the worst human being. All it takes is one compliment on how she looks. And all of a sudden she's ready to accept her father's mistress. Here's the thing. That is not a typical Elizabeth reaction, right? And so because of that- It's really wild. And because of that, like that's more maybe a Jessica reaction, right? So that makes me think it's one of two things. One is, okay, so here's the story I tell myself, right? To make it work. That she's responding not to the content of her words, but to the warmth of her demeanor. And Elizabeth is just sensitive. It's like, you know when you meet someone, you right away are like, I like this person, I, they're genuine. I think it's more, to give Elizabeth the benefit of the doubt, I'm going to say it's that that makes her say she likes her. 
versus that because it's just so uncharacteristic of her that it would just be really like a sloppy thing for them to do like it just doesn't make sense so i feel like there's three readings one is just sloppy two because elizabeth wouldn't be like that two elizabeth is responding more to the demeanor not to the content of the words or three you know although the first paragraph set us up for and you know the sort of mainstream narrative the dominant narrative is telling us that jessica is the one vanity and needs sort of attention and validation of her parents does elizabeth have some of that in her as well either way truly wild i love the way that everyone just leaps to conclusions marion west is coming over for dinner and your father has an important announcement and of your mother course, is like cool about it and being like yeah so he's making this announcement at dinner cool marianne's gonna be here your new mom. She's humming. She's humming <laughs> as she makes duck up the wrong. Well, at this point, they're so far gone that, you know, the girls and they're just going to, they're so convinced. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely outrageous. They think he's announcing at dinner with the whole family that he's leaving the family. And with his new mistress that she'd be at that announcement. And so that it would be that his level, announcement and not their announcement. No, it's during On that level, truly insane. Yeah, cuckoo. And also gross that even if we go along with this, okay, she's coming for a toast. They're nice. They're all copacetic. Alice is fine with it. To kiss him on the cheek. And then she kisses Alice too. What is going on with Are they having a threesome? She's no. kissing Alice too. Why is Alice humming? I thought she was so uptight. Now she's humming? So the other thing I want to point out. Okay, yes, the way they lead to conclusions, the way they think about this, it's so, it makes absolutely no sense. Well, but in the realm of actual reality, how weird is it that Ned Wakefield wants to announce that Mariana is being made a partner and he wants to tell her at dinner with his family and his son's girlfriend? Yeah, cuckoo, cuckoo. It makes no sense. It no. just, as I said, it just feels inappropriate. Yeah, no, plus why is she surprised? Like being a partner, I don't think should be a surprise like that. Well, maybe it is if you start as a, his assistant. Okay, so then we're here. The girls get carjacked. Todd follows them oh. and saves them. When Rick carjacks them, he says, scream as loud as you like. Who's going to hear you? Todd saves them, which is great. Jessica goes, I never want to see this place again. Whereas Todd gave her a funny look, but said nothing. I could just kiss you, Jessica squealed, rushing toward him. She was intercepted as Elizabeth stepped in front of her, not this time, Jess. It's my turn. With that, she turned to kiss a surprised Todd squarely on the mouth. Yeah. At this point, I mean, she thinks he assaulted her sister. Yes, and I had a really tough time telling myself a story about that. And here's the internal conversation I had to have with myself, which was, well, wait a minute. At this point, doesn't she, this is what I said. I said, at this point, doesn't she still think he, you know, sort of assaulted or attempted to assault with Jessica and I said yes she does because Jessica no one has clarified that yet and then I said well wait yeah. a minute why would she go ahead and kiss him on the mouth and I tried to say to myself well something about the sort of adrenaline and relief of being saved sort of momentarily dulled her brain and it was some sort of impulse because it's absolutely deranged plus it's nothing elizabeth would ever do when she doesn't yeah. even know if todd likes her yet right can you believe in chapter 18 elizabeth and jess are back together and basically elizabeth is elizabeth goes jess we have to talk 
and Jessica was like talking about eyeliner and then she's like oh it's nothing and Jessica goes if something's wrong tell me you bet I will you know I do anything to help you Lizzie after all you're the closest person in the whole world to me Jessica there's no one who means more Todd told me everything and you believe him over your own sister she said switching gears without missing a beat I loved that I no I, that did make me that. laugh that did make me laugh I loved that yeah I think that is so amazing oh wait <laughs> my other favorite moment that she does that's so funny is when like, Elizabeth is telling her like actually people are talking about it Jess like everyone's talking about it today at school like how I was seen with Rick Andover or whatever like when Jessica is saying like it's not a big deal and then just Je and then it says like Jessica leaned over and asked like oh really like what are they saying like as if it was just like random gossip <laughs> I was like that is so funny um another quick just beautiful lyrical writing no matter what happened between them this mirror image this other half of herself would always be connected to her in some strange and powerful way and that relationship would be different and separate from any other she would ever have in her life. Nothing could ever change that, not for either of them. And then I don't have any more notes. I just, I, was, well, I guess my last note is, oh my God, this twin double cross finale I love. With the pool, yeah. It's really satisfying. Really, it's really satisfying. so good. You know, I, I this was a very nice conversation for me. I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed hearing your interpretations and, sort of challenging some of my own interpretations and yeah. sort of continuing you needed that well. challenge well and you you did too a little bit sometimes I, i'm not saying it didn't i just feel like part of it is also like you i come in as a blank slate or more of a blank slate not a blank slate you come in just like fiercely, baggage baggage fiercely protective of these texts just like claws out so much just like i will eat you alive if you disrespect these just so much you know well i don't want to be that way i really want to be open and i also feel that i did agree with a lot of your critiques and i said some of my own critiques too so i i don't feel that i'm saying that they are unassailable no you're definitely not saying that i don't want to say that i'm saying they're wonderful it is the you're... wonderful world of sweet valley yeah do not get that twisted I would never. I will boil you in oil, That's as Jessica said. Yes. <laughs> kind of a funny thing to say. Yeah, because she's hilarious. She's so funny. Tell me next time Elizabeth says something funny. I won't hold my breath, literally. Talk to me in book 144 when she still hasn't said anything funny. Okay, ready? I'll lead us in. Ah, ah, ah. Look back down any crowded hall. You'll see there's a beauty standing. Is she really everywhere or a reflection? One always calls out to you. The other shy and quiet. Could there be two different girls who look the same at Sweet Valley, Sweet Valley. I meet you at Sweet Valley, Sweet Valley. And then here's where it goes. And then it goes, oh, <laughs> I love that. I love that the theme song also doesn't really understand twins. Could there be two girls who look the same but have different personalities? Yeah, that's twins. But you understand they really look the same. The only, the only way- The beauty mark, of course. Do you remember where it is? 
It's on her left shoulder? It's on Elizabeth's right, right shoulder. shoulder. Right shoulder. And the way I like to remember that <laughs> is no. that it... <laughs> Nope. A simple no. acrostic. <laughs> That's a no for me. <laughs> All right. Sue yourself. <laughs> okay, how do you remember it? Because and this is not helpful at all, but somehow it helps me, which is that both of them have a dimple in their left cheek when they smile. Okay, so I remember the dimples in the left. That's the thing they both have. And then Elizabeth has B mark on her right. <laughs> Are you open to a much easier mnemonic? <laughs> Elizabeth thinks she's always right. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that was good. Like, it is truly, truly hilarious to me. They're, like, everybody is like, wait, they look the same, but they're different, but they look the same. I see someone standing there. That's, be? Because the theme song is from the perspective of someone who is sort of just... That's what I understand when. <laughs> like, they want, they want it to feel like anyone, it's sort of anyone, there's no barrier to entry. <laughs> So the, it's from the perspective of someone who's just has a sort of a child sort of sense of wonder. <laughs> but like a child, a child would understand what a twin is. Uh, is that not a girl or some kind of freaking reflection? What's going on here? What is that another freaking girl over there? It looks like her. This one, that one. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> oh, I love to laugh. Thanks for listening to Sweet Valley Hive, hosted by Robert Marks and Rebecca Pardo. For more, check out our Instagram at Sweet Valley Hive. Theme song by Yessie and artwork by Elliot Carroll.